the power of story, biblical stories, is enormous. And one of the wonderful things about the Bible is that we can hear these stories as children and learn more from them as adults. The problem, however, is that sometimes the only thing we remember is the children's version of the story that we were told. And this version may have been simplified or redirected in some way to make it easier for our minds. I find again and again, for myself and other adults, uh, we remember the child's version, but we don't get the adult version. And the Bible was written by adults for adults. And so often we miss the meaning of the story that the, the author was telling us because we're stuck in the children's story. I'm going to share one of those stories this time, the story about Captain Naaman. Welcome to the Bible Journeys podcast. Your traveling companion is Ed Dickerson, an author, teacher, and scholar. He holds a master's degree in religious education from Andrews University. As you explore together, you will learn tools and techniques that illuminate scripture, renew your faith, and brighten your journey. Now, there's nothing wrong with children's stories. It's just that they may be slightly different. We don't tell certain stories to children at all. An entire series of stories called the Bible story, which covered uh, the entire Bible, left out two stories. One of them was the beheading of John the Baptist. Didn't want to make that, you know, too vivid for young children. There's good reasons for that. But there are also good reasons to understand that the adult story is important for adults. And too often, again, the story we heard as children overrides the text that we read today. So we read today's text, but we hear our voice, the voice of our mother or the voice of a teacher or someone and we don't really hear the voice of the author. If we're going to read the Bible as it was meant to be read, we have to read it as the author intended it to be read by his audience. And I'm going to share with you today the story of Captain Naaman. Now, of course, the typical story that we tell the children is about the little maid, the little girl who was taken captive, and she was faithful, and she told uh, Captain Naaman about a prophet in Israel. He went there and he washed in the Jordan River and was made clean. He had leprosy. This is a wonderful story. It just doesn't happen to be the story that the author of Second Kings chapter 5 happened to be telling. We want to get that story because as good as the children's story is, there's more for us in it. And we want to answer several questions as we go along. First of all, what story is the author telling? Not the story that we've made of it, that we've you know, slimmed it down and streamlined it for children, simplified it. But what, what was the author intending his audience to get out of it? Because we might find that there's a, a significant difference. The uh, second question we want to answer is, what is the central message? Yes, there are many details, and those are fine, but the central message really matters. He wanted to, the prophet wanted to tell us that story for that reason. And if we miss that, we've missed the whole point. It doesn't matter that we have a wonderful story about a little girl who faithfully witnesses. If that isn't the story the author is telling, it's just a 
part of a larger story. We'll see as we go along. And what questions come to mind? Because this is written about a different place and a different time and a different culture. And there are a lot of details that are included. And remember, in biblical storytelling, uh, the, the storytellers are very economical. They don't use any words they don't have to. And so if they mention something, that matters. And if they leave out something that ordinarily would be included, that tells us something too. That's part of the storyteller's art. And so as we go through this, keep these three questions in mind. What story is the author telling? What is the central message? And what questions come to mind? I'll mention a few as we go along, and I'll have a few at the end, because we're going to look at this story again in more detail in the future. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. Do you know where Aram is? Do you know anything about the history of Aram and Israel? That might be a question we want to look into it. Now, find out what it, what it actually is saying there. Uh, he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Why? Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, you might want to take note of the fact that Lord here in most uh, translations, many translations, is in small capitals. Whenever you see Lord in small capitals, the word in Hebrew is the name of God, Yahweh. But a good Jew... And it would never say that four-letter word. They would insert the, the word Adonai, which is Lord. And this is the kind of Lord they're talking about. Now, there's another, and Adonai could be a human Lord. But if it says Adonai and it's in the small caps, that, that means that the reader would have inserted the word Adonai, but the word would have been Yahweh. The four letters, the name that should never be uttered. And so... Here we have, we have a name already, Naaman, and then we have this name, Yahweh. It's important because names are important. We're going to see that more in the future. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now, of course, the question is, what difference does it make whether he was a soldier or a king or a priest or whatever? So there's something we might want to look into. Does it matter? And leprosy, don't forget, had a symbolic meaning, too. Well, think about that as we go along. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. So this girl is a house servant. She serves Naaman's wife. Raiders had gone out from Aram, wherever that was, and they'd taken this little girl. And... Uh, Despite the fact that she was kidnapped and made into a slave, essentially, it says she served, but she was a slave. She loves him. She, she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, this girl has great faith. And this is often her character is the one that is often highlighted in this story, she and Naaman. And certainly this is a, a sweet and winsome character. But she's not named. And as we already mentioned, names matter in these stories. And if 
Names are included, they matter. And if names are not included, it tells us that that character, although they have a role to play, it is not a central role. It is not a major role. Whatever else, this story is not about the serving girl. She's sweet. She's winsome. She, uh, you know, is faithful as a servant. This is wonderful. But it still isn't about her. Otherwise, he'd have named her. Naaman went to his master. Now, his master is the king. And told him what the girl from Israel had said. And his master tells him, I think you should go. I think you should go. And then he says, I'll send a letter. So he, Naaman left. He took 750 50 pounds of silver with him, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothes. When they talk about raiment, of course, these were fancy clothes. These were expensive things. And so just going by modern uh, prices, this is more than $5 million worth of something. But then it shows that his master, the king of Aram, values him. And it shows that uh, it's worth a great deal to him to have Naaman cured of leprosy. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I'll give you a letter to take to the king of Israel. So he did, and he gave him all these things to take with him. And by the way, well, we'll think about this probably in the next episode. Uh, Five million dollars. You know, how many how many uh, pack animals is that going to take? And, and what are you going to do about protecting it? Those are things we might want to, questions we might want to ask. So uh, notice that it says, uh, the king of Aram replied. The king of Aram is not named. Now, he's the king of the nation. He is Naaman's master, but the story isn't about him. He isn't an important player in this story. He isn't. He has a role to play, but he isn't central to the meaning of this story, and so he's not been named. Interesting. The letter he took to the king of Israel, by the way, we're not told the name of the king of Israel either. He'll, he'll be addressed several times as the king of Israel, but he will not be named. And take note of that as we go along here. He's just not going to be named. He's not that important in this, in this story. And it takes a little bit of getting used to it. We, we have a certain way we think about things. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. All right, now put yourself in the king of Israel's place. What are you going to do? Can you cure leprosy? Not in that day, for sure. In fact, for a very long time, even in our time, they couldn't cure it. They could, uh, it's called Hansen's disease, and they could uh, control it by continued injections. But now, uh, I understand recently, they have finally been able to cure it, but certainly not back then, and certainly not a warrior or a king. So the, the, uh, the king of Israel has to be in a quandary about this. And in fact, we'll find very quickly, the story will tell us and make it clear that he is. The king of Israel, again, not named, as soon as he did, uh, wrote, he read the letter, as soon as he did, he tore his royal robes. Well, what is tearing the robes? Well. We, most of us now know that 
in the Bible, tearing your clothing is a sign of mourning or grief or great fear. That's what's going on here. He's tearing his robes because he's helpless in the face of this thing. Am I God? Can I kill people and bring them back to life? Well, of course. This is a rhetorical question. He can't. And he is just, you know, beside himself. And in fact, he thinks what any modern-day ruler would think. Why does this fellow send someone to me to be healed of leprosy? He must be trying to pick a fight with me. This happens. It's happened throughout history and even in modern times, where one government sends another an ultimatum and something to do. And if you don't do this, we will bring, we will uh, begin, we will declare war against you. So here it is. He must be trying to pick a fight with me. That's all he can think about. He's he's terrified. And we'll get into this because we need to remember the relationship between Aram, whatever that is, whatever that country is in the modern terms, and Israel is, is important here. And these two kings are in, in contact, and, and the uh, king of Israel feels very attacked. Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. He had heard that the king was in a terrible distress by tearing his robes. So he sent the king a message. Now just think about this. The, the uh, major uh, leader of the army of the king of Aram has come all the way with all of these gifts to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't come out of his house. He just sends a messenger out to him. Go, wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Then your skin will be healed. You will be pure and clean again. That's it. Elisha doesn't show up. Elisha doesn't talk to him. He just sends out a messenger with this. And now we find out something about Naaman that isn't pretty. Because he was well regarded by the king. And as we'll see, he's well regarded by his soldiers. He was well regarded by his servant girl. He's a good guy. But he has a problem. And it isn't leprosy, because that can be handled. All he has to do is go to the river now. But Naaman went away angry. He said, I was sure he would come out to me. I thought he would stand there and pray to the Lord his God. And by the way, there are no small caps here. The Lord his God. I thought he would wave his hand over my skin, and then I would be healed. Now, none of that happened. But, well, he was expecting customer service. You may have felt this way. You know, part of understanding stories is understanding we're shown real characters here, not just names and, and sort of wooden representatives of certain things, but people with passions, people with problems. He has leprosy, people with pride. Here's his, his name. And this is the problem. He, he didn't get customer service. You've been there. You go to the, and I expected the doctor at least would come and take a look at me, but he just, Gave me a prescription through his receptionist. The receptionist gave me a prescription. And that was it. I expected some customer service, and I didn't get it. And it's more than that. Naaman's a dignitary. He is a celebrity. He is an important person in his kingdom. And he comes all the way down, and Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. He is offended because, and I'm going to, this is the central message, well, one of the central messages of the, of the, uh, of the story, but this is the real problem. 
Naaman's problem isn't leprosy. His problem is pride. His problem is pride. It is what I call the leprosy of very good people. Because he knows he's good. He is a good guy. His soldiers love him. His servants love him. His king regards him highly. God has given him victories. He's a good guy. But he's not any better than he thinks he is. And that's the problem. He thinks he deserves special treatment. He wants customer service. So the story here is not so much about the little girl, although she was faithful. It's about Naaman. It's about one other thing or two other things. And we'll see what they are. It may take us a while. And then he says, well, what about uh, Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus? Damascus is a very, it may be the oldest inhabited, continuously inhabited city in the world. And there are two rivers which come, and uh, very unusually, but there are two rivers that come to take care of uh, Damascus. And they are both mountain spring fed, mountain snow fed. And so they're very beautiful, and they're very clear, and they're very clean. Whereas the Jordan is very silted up, it's very muddy, it's not a very big river by comparison. And he's looking at the Jordan River and saying, that, that muddy little thing, you know, why, why, can't, I, why can't I go back to the, the nice, clean river? Aren't they better than any of the rivers in Israel? Of course they are, in the sense of human sensibility. But they're not the cure for pride. He needs to. It's his pride that's his problem. And how do we know that? Well, he's because he's so offended he didn't get service. And what does it say? Now you can say, couldn't I wash them and be made pure and clean? What's going on here? You know, he's really, really upset about that. But here's the thing. So he turned and went away. Now it isn't just that he turned away from Elisha's house. It says he was burning with anger. He's angry. He has just been offered a cure for leprosy. Leprosy is not just a death sentence in the ancient world. It's a lingering, horrible, lonely death. And he's just been offered a way out of that. Go to this river Dip in it seven times, and you will be clean. You know, we have nice words that are like remission or something. But you'll be cured. It'll be gone. You'll have no more problems with it. He's been offered that. That doesn't happen in the ancient world. But because he didn't get treated the way he wants to, and he has to go to this muddy little river, he's offended. His pride is hurt. And so he turned to go away. He was burning with anger. And here we see his servants, the ones who came with him. And by the way, it was probably a fairly large group that were, uh, protecting all that gold and silver. Naaman's servants went over to him. They said, you are like a father to us. See, he's a good guy. Servants, look at him as a father. What if the prophet Elisha had told you to do some great thing? Wouldn't you have done it? But he only said, wash yourself, then you will be pure and clean. You should be even more willing to do that. This whole episode reveals to his servants and to Naaman something he wasn't aware of, his own pride. We're all 
prideful, every one of us. C.S. Lewis says, none of us is uh, quite so proud as when uh, showing an attitude of humility. We do often parade our humility. We're very proud of it. But that's the problem. Good people can come to believe in their own goodness, and they lose humility. God resists the proud, and gives grace to the humble, we're told. Well, it's not just that God resists the proud, but the proud resists God. This is what's happening here. He's offered grace. He's offered healing, and he's resisting it because of his pride. But his servants talk some sense to him. Look, you, you, you've got healing right here. Take it. It isn't some big thing you'd have to do. You know, some of the great tasks given to Hercules, for example. This is simple. Go to this river, wash yourself, and be clean. And that humbles him. How do we know? Because he did what they asked. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River. He dipped into himself into seven times. He did exactly what the man of God had told him to do. Then his skin was made pure again. It became clean like the skin of a young boy. Wow. His real problem, and I believe the reason that God allowed him to have leprosy, was so that he could be cured of both leprosy and pride. I'm not going to draw the lesson for you, but I think that's what the lesson is in this story. But the story is not over yet. Usually, when we tell it as the story of the little serving girl, we stop here. He was sweet and clean, and he went home, and everybody was happy. And that's a good story. It's not untrue. It just isn't the most true story because it isn't the story that the biblical author is telling. And how do we know that? Because it's not over yet. So he goes back and he offers this $5 million of silver and gold and fancy clothing. And Elisha says, no, well, why would he do that? We'll, we'll get to that. I can see you won't accept a gift from me, said Naaman. But please, let me have some soil from your land. Give me as much as a pair of mules can carry. He has carried gold for many miles to offer the prophet, and the prophet won't take it. And now he's requesting dirt. He wants soil. And why would that be? He didn't want to get in a muddy river, and now he wants dirt. Well, he says, here's why I want it. I won't ever bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God. Again, I'll bring them only to the Lord. I'll worship him on his own soil. There was an idea in these days, and we see it back with Jacob, who built a cairn of stones when he saw Jacob's ladder. And he said, this is the house of God, Bethel, Bethel. They believe that gods belong to certain places. We could find lots of texts of this. We may talk about this in the future. And that is, so that's what he wants to do. He wants to be sure 
that his sacrifices are acceptable to God because he's willing to take the soil of God with him and he'll make his sacrifices there. Pretty amazing. But there's one thing I hope the Lord will forgive me for. From time to time, my master will enter the temple to bow down to his god, Rimmon. Now here you see we have a, a fourth name. We have had uh, Naaman, and we've had the Lord, which Yahweh is Yahweh. It's just submerged. We've had Elisha, and now we have Rimmon. In fact, it's Baal Rimmon, the god of thunder. Pretty, if you're going to be a, a, a conquering power, pretty good to have the god of thunder on your side. When he does, he'll lean on my arm. Then I'll have to bow down there also. I hope the Lord will forgive me for that. Well, this leads to some more questions. This leaning on the arm and all this stuff. But what does... Elisha said to him, if, if, as I was growing up, I would have been told, well, you can't go and worship in the other, other temple. That would be a, that's a terrible witness. If you're really worshiping, he says, I won't worship anyone but uh, the Lord again. But here he wants permission to do this. And what does Elisha tell him? Go in peace, Elisha said. You see, God doesn't care what it looks like. God has no pride. If other people think that Naaman is still worshiping Baal Rimmon, it doesn't matter because God knows that he has Naaman's heart. Now, as to why I have not included the rest, the next part of this story, which is really a, it's a separate part, where Gehazi uh, asks for the garments and uh, gets the leprosy. Well, that'll have to wait until our next episode where we go into this whole story in more detail. But do you notice the difference between this story and the story that we usually uh, tell children? It's quite striking, isn't it? And here are a list of questions. Um, yeah, there's God has name and heart. Here are a list of questions you might want to ask as you're thinking about this before our next episode. Where is Aram in relation to Israel? Where, where is it physically, geographically? Have any of the victories of Naaman come at the expense of Israel? Because God gave him those victories, it said. Why does it mention his valor as a soldier at the same time as announcing his leprosy? He was a great soldier, but he had leprosy. Why won't Elisha accept anything for healing Naaman? After all, it was worth more than that. And why does the king of Aram need to lean on Naaman's arm? He's going to lean on his arm, he says. Why is that going to happen? And by the way, why did I leave out the next part about Gehazi getting leprosy? Those are some questions to look at before our next episode. If you've gained something from this discussion, please be sure to share it with someone, because those who join our Bible journeys here can become our traveling companions for eternity.